Aqualads and Aqualasses, welcome back to Reading Canebow, a true journey into darkness. I'm Johnny C, and I shall be your narrator through these proceedings, suddenly with an English accent. But when we last left you, we had finished the prologue. And you might remember in the prologue, little Glenn Calloway survived the burning of the Calloway Funeral Home in Marva, Texas, I believe. The Seattle Supersonics basketball legend EMT Sean Kemp tried desperately to revive Glenn, but to no avail, and Glenn was pronounced dead after the fire had taken the funeral home. However, at the end of the prologue, Glenn sat up, revealing that he was, indeed, alive. And now, we shall journey even further into darkness on Reading Canebow. Chapter 1 Glenn Calloway was unconscious for six weeks. Lucky bastard. The EMTs had gotten him from Marfa to Big Bend Regional Hospital in Alpine in 15 minutes. Sirens wailing the whole way down 90. But it took the ER doctor named George Clooney there even less time than to realize he was overmatched. That this kid needed specialized treatment. Before dawn, Glenn was in San Antonio, Texas. Jack! Choppered in the burn center at Fort Sam Houston, where you can get a rodeo scholarship, I believe, where doctors also performed the first of what would eventually be a half dozen skin grafts, harvesting flesh from the back of his legs, his buttocks, even the bottoms of his feet to replace what the fire had burned away. Glenn knew nothing of his travels, the operations, his surroundings, or the attention he drew nationwide for his miraculous recovery. He was drugged the whole time while his body healed. Drugged, unconscious, dreaming. But more importantly, drugged. Having the time of his life. Because I, I gotta imagine, when you're that high for that long... All you do is hear trance music in your head. He opened his eyes to the side of his dad, leaning over him, brushing the hair back from his eyes. Hey, buddy, how you doing, slugger? Glenn shrugged. Okay, I guess. He was four years old again. No, oh, kind of a deep voice for a four-year-old there, Glenster. Lying in bed in Big Bend Regional, where he just spent the night after having a day full of tests of doctors drawing blood and poking him with needles and shaking their heads. At least it was over now. Not that his parents looked any less worried, especially his mum, who was sitting on the edge of the bed, clasping her hands together, rocking slowly back and forth. She looked real upset. Glenn had told her that no matter what the doctor said, he felt fine, but that hadn't seemed to calm her any. You understand what the doctors were telling you? His dad asked, suddenly now English. <laughs> what they were talking about? Glenn nodded. Yes, sir, I do understand. They call it Hassan. Like Mohammed Hassan? That stands for hereditary sensory and automatic neurop neuropathy. It means you can't feel any pain. I know, dad, duh which means you have to be very, very careful about what you do. 
pain is temporary. Pride is forever. Lift them weights. No, wait, no, that's not what he said. Glenn actually said, I remember. Pain is the body's warning mechanism. I have to watch what I'm doing all the time. I have to be careful not to get into fights or play sports or do any of those kind of things because since I can't feel pain, I'll never notice things like cuts or bruises or broken bones. And it doesn't matter how bad your stomach hurts. You're giving birth no matter what, ladies. Oh, sorry, that was Mayor Glenn. Let's go back to baby Glenn. His dad managed to smile. That's right, son. That's exactly right. Glenn nodded, wondering how he'd known all that, all those big words. He was only four years old. It was almost as if he'd had this conversation before. You can bet I'll be careful, sir. I surely will. Now let's go hunt some dinosaurs and some homosexuals. This is all my fault, his mom said. Now don't start in with your crazy talk, Susanna. The Lord made my boy Glenn the way that he was supposed to be. It's not crazy, she said. Not crazy at all. My father, his father before him, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, all the way back to Susanna Kane, his dad said sharply. How many times have I asked you not to talk like that in front of the boys? Those ideas, they have got the right to know. Glenn's mom said firmly, Susanna Kane! She's right, Dad. Glenn looked up and saw his brother Mark Taker standing at the door. We got a right to know, me and Glenn. We got the blood of dragons in us too, after all. Maybe we got the curse of the Targaryens too. Oh, wait, no, wrong book. I'm sorry, hold on. <clears throat> we got a right to know too, me and Glenn. We got the blood in us too, after all. Maybe we got the curse too. The curse of that lazy bum maven. You know, people give him every opportunity out there under the sun, but he just doesn't put the work in. Have we got the lazy maven curse too, Pops? Just like all the people in here? Mark held up a book before him then. A big brown scrapbook that Glenn recognized instantly. It was his favorite copy of Green Eggs and Ham, but it also doubled as the Kane family scrapbook. Kane was his mom's maiden name. <gasps> We didn't know that before, but now we know it. That was even what everyone still called her most of the time. Not just Susanna, but Susanna Kane. Of course, her father, world-famous Charles Foster Kane. Charles Foster Kane knows on the march. Charles Foster Kane has spread democracy to Germany. Charles Foster Kane has died alone. And Xanadu has compound. His last words, unknown. This has been news on the march. And the book treated her family's history all the way back to pilgrim times. She's been putting it together over the last few years. It had become, what was the word Dad had used? An obsession of hers. Ever since, well, ever since I was born, Glenn realized. Now, how did he know that? There's no such thing as a curse, his dad said. And now, I don't want to hear any more about it. But Glenn, his mom began. What about this with Glenn? What about it? It's genetics, after all. Kane family genetics, Mark said. Dad glared at him. Lately, Mark seemed just about as interested in the Kane family as his mom. He spent a lot of time looking at the scrapbook, at all the pictures and the papers Mom kept with it. He spent more time with that book than his schoolwork, in fact. 
That's what Dad was always saying. Too much time. Wasn't even getting outside enough to play. He was getting pale, in fact. It's like there's pictures of naked ladies in there or something. Boys jerking it all the time. Won't even go outside. Get a tan, Mark! Pale bastard. Glenn looked up at his parents and his brother then, suddenly noticing how pale they all looked, how white their skin was, almost waxy looking, like they weren't real. Like... A terrible feeling ran through him then, and he shivered. Please, Glenn said in a small voice. Oh, (laughs) please, let's not talk about the curse. That's right, that's my boy. His dad put a hand on Glenn's shoulder. There ain't nothing magical about this condition you have, this Muhammad Hassan. Long as you're careful, you'll be fine. Just don't choke nobody with any wires. On UPN, you'll be great. Glenn nodded. No fighting. I got that. No sports. Yes, sir. Uh, Excuse me, Dad, though. Why do we all sound like Ricky Bobby's kids? Stay out of the sun. You don't want to burn. That could be dangerous. Very, very dangerous burning. You hear me? Yes, Dad, Glenn said. I hear you. Because you could crisp right up like bacon and never know it. Never feel a thing. Susanna Kane, you better make me a bacon sandwich. You know, just put bacon on it. Good Lord, one might think they call it a bacon sandwich, I swear. Randall raised his hand then and took a drag off his cigarette. All at once, like magic, Glenn thought, a nurse appeared behind him. Sir, there's no smoking in here. No smoking! All right, sorry. He dropped the cigarette on the floor casually. Glenn watched it land and then, as if in slow motion, bounced once and then again before finally dodging some bullets and coming to rest next to the trailing edge of his blanket. The edge of the cloth glowed red and began to smoke. Oh no, Glenn whispered. He looked up at his mom and dad. The the, the bed. Oh my, look at that. The nurse put her hands on her hips and shook her head. Your bed's on fire, I'm afraid. (laughs) You're damn right it is, nurse. You get over here, you'll see how fire it is. His mom's eyes widened. I knew it. You see, Randall? You see what I mean? Come on! She stood and grabbed hold of Glenn's hand. We'd better get going. Well, shoot. His dad put his hands on his hips and frowned. I guess you're right, Susanna Kane. We better get going. We better run, in fact. Glenn started to get out of bed. The nurse pushed him back down. No, you don't. We've got some more tests to do to you, little one. Oh, please let me glow, Glenn said. Please. The nurse shook her head. I'm sorry, son. Glenn, come on. Mark stood at the door to the hall, holding it open. As Glenn watched, his dad walked through that door and disappeared. Dad! Come on, Glenn, Mark yelled. I can't hold this door open forever, even though I'm not as lazy as that damn maven. Glenn tried again to get up. The nurse pushed him back down. His hand slipped free from his mom's. Oh, Glenn! His mom was crying. I wish you would come with us. Glenn started crying too. I'm coming, Mom. I'm coming. Oh, wait. No, I probably read that wrong. I'm coming, Mom. Don't leave without me. But she was going. She was gone. Out the door after his dad. With a last look back at Glenn, Mark followed. Wait! Mark! Glenn climbed out of bed. The nurse stood in front of him, blocking his way. 
removing her blouse. Glenn stopped and paid attention and worried no longer about his dead family. He made a fist at her, though, and she shook her head. You heard your dad, Glenn. No fighting. But I know fighting, Glenn. He shoved past her, except now the room was so filled with smoke he couldn't see the door. He couldn't even see past his own hand now. Get this boy some glasses. He stumbled first in one direction, then the other. One direction. I don't know any of their songs. Don't have anything to sing. Then the other. And then all of a sudden, he looked up and saw he was standing at the foot of a stairway. And he's looking a stairway to Marfa. The stairway at his house back in Marfa. It wasn't the hospital room on fire after all, he realized then. It was his house. In your house, Glenn! It's on fire. You better get the fuck out of there, Glenn. And with that, he remembered it all and began to scream. At the nurse's station in the burn unit at Fort Sam Houston, a machine started beeping. A nurse sat down her Vogue magazine and frowned. The boy in room 41 was moving again. She hurried down the long hall into his room. Quickly, she adjusted the sedative drip so the boy would remain unconscious so that Sean Kemp could return to have his way with him, so that the boy could also concentrate on healing. The doctors had scheduled him for another skin graft tomorrow as well. He'd need all the strength for that. She moved closer to the bed and saw the boy's hair had fallen into his eyes. I thought he was fucking bald from the fire. What the fuck? She brushed it back. Thank God for small favors. At least the burns on his face were relatively minor. With any luck, they'd fade after time, and he'd get laid. He'd be able to live a relatively normal life, assuming he survived the next few weeks here. Assuming anyone could live a relatively normal life after their whole family had been killed. Poor child, she whispered. Glenn rolled over in his sleep and reached out toward the sound of her voice. His mom was talking. Glenn could hear her speak, hear her voice coming through the door to the funeral parlor office, which he was standing right in front of. The question was, though, was she with a client? Because if she was with a client, he wasn't supposed to interrupt her. Talking with clients was serious business. Funerals, and dead people for that matter, were very serious business indeed. You can't get a word out of them. But Glenn wanted to tell her what was ha- what had happened today at school, his first day of second grade. He had made a friend, a boy named Bobby Eaton. Oh, wait, no, Brian Urban, who lived just five minutes down the road and already invited him over to play with his racing set. If his mom wasn't with a client, she could call Brian's folks and set it all up, right now, this afternoon. Glenn took a step closer to the door and pressed his ear up against it. His mom was laughing. His mom did not laugh when she was with clients. It sounded more like she was talking to a friend. Maybe Mrs. Keith, maybe Mrs. Larrabee, or... No. It was a man. Glenn heard his voice now. Dad? It had to be Dad. Glenn smiled. Dad would be glad to hear about Brian, too. Dad was always worried about Glenn being able to make friends because he couldn't do sports or run around outside. And here it was, first day of school and he'd made a friend already. Hell, Dad would probably drive him right over. His mom laughed again. 
more of a giggle than a laugh. Boy, everyone was in a good mood. This was going to be great. Glenn turned the knob and pushed the door open without knocking. The laughter stopped. His mom was sitting on the couch opposite the desk. There was a man sitting next to her. The man had a hand on her knee. The man was not his dad. The man was Paul Grimm. Grimm was a stocky little man with black hair and a mustache who worked in the funeral parlor with Glenn's parents. He was the embalmer. Played around with all the dead bodies. All the chemicals in the basement. He was always trying to be nice to Glenn for some reason. Hmm. Glenn had no idea why. He babysat for Glenn once in a while even, when his parents had to go out. Glenn always went to sleep early, rather than spend time with the man. <laughs> well, I don't blame you there, Glenny boy. His mom stood up quickly. Her face was a little red. Glenn Jacob Calloway, when a door is closed, what do we do? Sorry. What do we do? Knock. That's right, we knock. His mom ran her hands over the front of her dress, smoothing it out, and making sure the semen was not visible. What if I was in here with a client, Glenn? What if? I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. That's all right! No harm done! Grimm stood up himself. How are you, Glenn? Good to see you again. You remember me, right? Paul Grimm? Yes, Paul. I remember you. Grimm smiled. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. So how was your school today? Big day, right? Your first day of, uh, oh, first grade, yes. Uh, actually, second grade, Paul. Oh, second, my, 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 my. You're growing up so fast, getting to be a big kid, I do declare. Glenn rolled his eyes. He hated when grown-ups talked to him like that. His mom saw this. She came around the coffee table in front of the couch, shaking her head. Now, Glenn, you be nice to Mr. Grimm, please. Paul, I want the boy to call me Paul, Susanna. You understand me? You remember, like we talked about? Oh, that's right, that's right, I'm sorry. Call him Paul, his mom said, putting her hands on Glenn's shoulders. Do you think you can do that, Glenn? Yes, ma'am. He looked at Grimm again. Paul, that's right, that's good, oh, yes. You and me ought to be on a first-name basis, Glenn. Me working here and all. We're kind of like family, don't you think? Little Glenn and the fat man. His mom's hands tightened on Glenn's shoulders for a second. Glenn was about to ask her to ease up when his eyes fell on the coffee table in front of the couch. There were... <clears throat> so sorry. There were papers spread out all over it. Old-looking papers. Papers that looked like they'd be good for perhaps rolling a joint. Underneath those papers, though, the edge of a book peeked out. A big, brown, oversized book. It was indeed the Necronomicon as Morta. Clatu Verata Zerepto, <coughs> Kane said, and the world fell into ruin. Meanwhile, though, Glenn looked at the Kane family scrapbook. Grimm's eyes followed his. The man bent down and grabbed a handful of those papers. Oh, and speaking of family... He straightened the papers into a stack, 
held the stack out to Glenn. You might be interested in these, son. Oh, yes, Glenn. I think you'll be very interested in them. They're very interesting. Look them over. That's what Paul and I were doing when you came in, honey. Looking over these papers as I was getting finger-banged by Paul Barra. Grim smiled again. Yes, sir. That's what we were doing, all right. Well, what are they? Glenn asked. Copies of some things I found the other day at the university. While I was up at Sol Ross. Some information about your family, Glenn. The Canes. My name is Calloway, Glenn said. Yes, yes it is, isn't it? Grim smiled. But the name don't really matter, does it, Glenn? Blood is what's important. Believe me, I don't know, considering my line of work, I drink a lot of blood. Oh, yes, look at my tum-tum, Glenn. Oh, yes, his mom said from behind him. Blood is what matters. The blood of old Valeria runs through your veins, Cain. I mean, Glenn. The blood running through your veins, Glenn. Your family's blood. That's what these papers are all about, Glenn. Family, oh yes. The man thrust a sheaf of papers into Glenn's face. Go on, take a look. Glenn couldn't help it. He glanced at the top of sheet of paper. There were just two words on it. You're dreaming. A chill ran down his spine. Oh no, he said. Grim nodded. Oh, yes! Glenn spun around quickly. His mom was gone. Glenn turned around again. The writing on the paper had changed. She's dead, it read. Grim laughed. <laughs> Glenn stumbled backwards, felt the office door behind him. It was hot to the touch. He smelled smoke. He remembered everything. Mom! Dad! Mark! Grim was smiling, holding the paper up in one hand and pointing to it with the other. Dead, dead, dead! Oh, dead! Grim's gaze bore into his. The man's eyes glittered. Oh, didn't I tell you, Glenn? Didn't I tell you the papers were all about your family? Now you know everything you need to, isn't that right? About your family? No, Glenn said. Yes, Grim smiled again. They're dead, Glenn. Dead and gone. It's just you and me now, son. I'm the closest thing to family you've got left. The man grabbed his arm. Glenn struggled as hard as he could, trying to break free. He thrashed about so violently during what was supposed to be the fifth and final operation that he ripped away half the evening's work. Ripped off a sheet of skin the size of a shirt. Pocket, that is, right from his right arm, and made a sixth operation necessary. The nurses were given a new sedative and new instructions. Make certain the boy doesn't get anywhere close to consciousness. And if he does, beat him over the head with this boot. He didn't. Glenn had a good long sleep. When he opened his eyes, he was lying on the floor of his house next to the stairs. The fire was out. The front door was still open. He heard voices outside, strangers, a lot of strangers. He glimpsed firefighters through the open door. Was Sean Kemp there? He couldn't find him. He breathed a sigh of relief. Footsteps sounded on the second floor above him. Came running down the stairs. It was Mark. His brother ran right past him and out the front door. Mark! Mark, wait for me! Glenn got to his feet and ran after him. Just outside the door, a young man in an ENT uniform grabbed his arm. Hey, buddy. Where you think you're going, fish? <laughs> My brother! No, no, come on over here and lie down on this gurney. You're dead. 
I'm not! Glenn pulled away from the man and took off again. How many fucking dreams is this kid going to have? Ahead of him, Mark was running too. And he was faster, like he was some sort of big evil red devil. Mark was always faster, bigger, stronger, better. Stronger, better, faster, stronger. Don't kill me. Will make me undertaker. Mark was getting away from him, leaving him behind. No, Glenn thought. He's all I got left. Mark! 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 Tumbleweeds blew across the road. (laughs) Blew in front of Glenn's face and obscured his vision. He shoved them out of the way with his arms, choking on the dust again. The dust and the smoke. Mark! Mark! Come back! Paul Grimm stepped out into the road in front of him. Hey, Glenn! Long time no see! Get out of my way! Glenn said. Now hold on a minute, son. Grimm shook his head and turned, raised a hand to his brow to shield his eyes from the dust. Where are you going? My brother! Mark, he went that way. Grimm shook his head. Don't think that's possible, Glenn. Don't you remember? Paul Grimm held up a piece of paper that read, Dead, 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 all dead. Is it possible? Is it? Glenn said, trying to shove past him. Grimm grabbed onto his arm and held tight. All right, all right, simmer down. I got my car over there. We'll go look for him, me and you. How's that sound? Glenn looked at Grimm. The man was smiling. Doesn't sound good, Glenn said, and pushed Grimm away. The man's laughter followed him as he ran. Heading down 17 again, running down the middle of the road, right along the yellow line, scanning the horizon for any sign of his brother. But all he saw was scrub. Glenn didn't want no scrub. A scrub was a guy that couldn't get no love from me. Hanging at the passenger side, of a best friend ride trying to holler at me. But again, all he saw was scrub. The occasional mesquite tree, a row of purple mountains far, far in the distance. Where had Mark gone? He couldn't have just disappeared. Glenn's eyes fell on a signpost on the edge of the road, a few hundred yards straight ahead of him. He walked up to it and around it. He read the words in big black letters on the front carefully and with great difficulty. Welcome to Marfa, Texas. And in smaller letters underneath, home of the world-famous Marfa Lights Giant, filmed here, 1951-1952. Giant. That was part of the Kane family curse, too. Part of the scrapbook. There was an article in it about the making of the movie. An article about his grandpa, Robert Kane. Wait, Bob Kane? The guy that invented fucking Batman? Jesus Christ. And I thought this podcast was plagiarism. Moving on, moving on. Who Glenn had never met. How he'd been, uh, how he'd had been hired on the company to make the film as their local guide to Marfa. How Robert Kane got to be friends with the stars of that movie. One star in particular. Who there was another article about. A star who died young. Died in a terrible car accident right after he made the film. Glenn remembered the first time he'd seen those articles now. The day when he'd found his mom and Paul Grimm in the office up to no good. Paul Grimm had found those articles for his mom up at Sol Ross. He'd been researching the curse for her. But none of that was important right now. What was important was finding his brother. He cupped his hands together and yelled, Mark, where are you? 
There was no reply. He turned and yelled again and again, but there was nothing. And just as he was about to give up, he heard a noise behind him and turned. And zooming up the road next to him was a sports car, and in it a young man whose face looked awfully familiar. And the man smiled and gave Glenn a big thumbs up and yelled, What curse? And just as he did, the car flipped over and exploded into flames. And it literally says that, folks. Glenn tried to avoid the flames, but then started chasing him. No, they started chasing Oh, excuse me, Mr. Fancy Author. But they started chasing him, chasing him back down the road towards Paul Grimm, who was waiting for him with open arms and smiling. And so Glenn turned and let the fire catch him rather than hug the fat man. He didn't feel a thing, of course. He just watched the fire as it consumed every inch of his body. It was everywhere he looked. Arms, legs, climbing up the stomach, burning him, burning his clothes. Orange and red, fire, yellow and gold fire. <laughs> Orange fire, ready, red fire, ready, yellow fire, ready, gold fire, ready, ready to form Poltron. Fire so bright, its image was seared into his brain. The image stayed with him a long time, till darkness took its place and swallowed him whole. The sixth operation was a success, but it was two more weeks before the graphs were healed enough to move Glenn. No rush this time, so they sent him in an ambulance back to Big Bend and Alpine. A slow-moving ambulance at that. The driver had instructions to keep it down to 55 on the highway. So you don't tear all that skin off. And we don't have to operate all over again, one of the doctors said. The driver nodded dutifully. But of course, once out on the highway, pushed it up to 70 without a thought until he hit the outskirts of town and came across a sign that reminded him that Giant had been filmed in Marfa. Which, of course, reminded him of James Dean who had died shortly after making the movie in a car crash, so he eased off the gas just a little bit. Made him think of something else, too. Something a friend of his, a nurse down in Marfa, had told him about Dean's death, that it was because the actor had been friends with one of the locals, some family whose name escaped him at the moment. A family his friend had heard was cursed, or something like that. Some sort of nonsense like that. Chapter 1, complete. My goodness, fans. We, the introduction of Paul Grimm into the narrative is something to behold. Not to mention the uh, Calloway family, Kane family, being blamed for the death of James Dean as well. But as it stands, Glenn has had his skin grafts. He's healing Will Paul Grimm appear again? Spoiler alert, yes. Will Glenn ever find his brother Mark? Well, no, his brother Mark is dead. Isn't he? All the more reason to keep tuning in to every new installment of Reading Canebow. I'm Johnny C. Remember to subscribe to the Aqua Cave so you get notified whenever new chapters drop. And a winner... Is no flame you. Return.